Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 171. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Around the world, in Ukraine, and here at home in the U.S., now more than ever, this is a time to stay vigilant. Listen, I I was counting in the car talking with my producer. I've done 15 of these. At least the ones I could count. And we keep having the conversation about Democrats will say guns, Republicans will say mental health, and nothing will change. And I'll probably do another one this year. Family after family, having nowhere to go with their grief. We'll get into a political conversation later, but is this the way we're supposed to live? Are we destined to just keep doing this city after city? Have we just resigned that this is what we are going to be? I'm going to give it back to you. That's CNN's Victor Blackwell breaking down in tears after reporting from the scene of the Buffalo mass shooting. Victor is speaking for all of us. Democrats and Republicans are squabbling and battling, and our children and neighbors continue to be slaughtered in mass shootings. And this one in Buffalo, the result of an 18-year-old white nationalist radical who drove hundreds of miles for the sole purpose of murdering black people. And he did it. He slaughtered 10 innocent people who were shopping working, living. This brutal massacre follows other brutal massacres in recent years in which a white supremacist killer was motivated by racial hatred in El Paso, Texas, and in Charleston, South Carolina, and in countless other low-profile attacks and harassments that never make the national news. This is America in 2022. This abominable attack is another terrible example of why radical and radical white nationalist domestic terrorism remains the number one national security threat to all Americans. We've covered it on this show for years. You're more likely to be murdered by an extremist with a high-powered weapon than you are by a North Korean missile, an ISIS suicide bomber, or a Chinese tank. The most urgent national security threat we face in 2022 America comes from the enemy within. And an enemy that is as extreme in their ideology as Osama bin Laden or any other enemy whose face was plastered endlessly on our TV screens and on paper targets and shooting ranges across America. And while the enemy continues to rampage across our country, killing innocent black people, attacking synagogues, hunting LGBTQ people, and storming the Capitol. Our two parties in America drive our country further and further from progress, from solutions, 
and from each other. As American citizens continue to die from mass shootings, from COVID, and from a slew of other threats, 2022 America is dominated by two parties that are more interested in fighting each other and perpetuating their own dominance than they are in fighting our enemies. They're more focused on their radical bases, on their self-licking ice cream cone cable news networks, on their billionaire donors at fancy dinner parties, on their corporate, union, and even foreign benefactors, and on their partisan ideologies than they are in patriotism. And America continues to burn and die while they re-elect themselves, recycle the same tired candidates and ideas, and guard their power. While one million Americans die of COVID, extremists continue to win elections and Roe v. Wade is overturned. The parties are not interested in America. The parties are not interested in you. The parties are interested in themselves. And America is paying the price. And our enemies are celebrating. Vladimir Putin might be getting his ass kicked right now in Ukraine but his agenda is winning in America right now. When every night to millions of Americans, Tucker Carlson pushes great replacement theory, the racist notion that white Americans are being deliberately replaced through immigration. When the former president pushes racist code words and messaging daily, and one of our two major parties refuses to clean up its own house, being ransacked with radicals, racists, and traitors. And the other major party can't stop them and is about to get annihilated in the elections this fall. Yeah, Putin's losing in Ukraine, but his agenda is winning in Buffalo, in El Paso, in Charleston, and most of all, in Washington, D.C. The broken two-party duopoly that George Washington warned us about continues to propel the problem and all our problems. They can't find a way forward to solutions on mass shootings, on immigration, on the pandemic, on education, on extremism, on the future. And in America in 2022, as our fellow Americans continue to die daily in hospital beds due to COVID, or in a supermarket due to a radical with a rifle. Stakes have never been higher. Yeah, stakes keep getting higher. And America is not built right now. To meet the moment. Yeah, there are breakthroughs of compromise and nonpartisanship, like billions in new aid to Ukraine, or the news this week that Senate leaders have reached a deal to pass sweeping military toxic exposure legislation, paving the way for millions of veterans exposed to burn pits and other battlefield toxins to get more medical care and disability benefits for coming years. We've talked about it on the show. Burn pits are the agent orange of our generation. Our friends are dying, and we must stay vigilant. But that fight is far from over, especially for all our friends who are sick. But wins like that in Washington are rare. So rare that they're celebrated. But they should be common. 
common enough that they don't need to be celebrated. Wins like that aren't a celebration. They're an indictment of our politics and a testament to the tireless advocates and to the power of shame from Jon Stewart and to the fact that both sides, and Biden especially, would love a big political win before summer break in the midterms. And few issues are more popular and more nonpartisan than vet stuff. And in 2022 America, Congress almost always fucks that up too because our politics are so broken, badly. The war in Ukraine remains the issue of our time, of this moment, and maybe of this generation. But we can't support Ukraine and the fight against Putin if we're too busy fighting ourselves. Putin is willing to drag this out in whatever way he can for as long as he has to. And he's banking on America losing the focus, the stomach, the unity to fight him. And he knows that if Trump becomes the nominee and maybe even president again, and possibly even if he doesn't, America may be too busy putting out its own fires to send firepower to Ukraine to fight him. And on the other side, Ukraine is a model in patriotism, resourcefulness, guts, and unity. And right now, they're much, much better at American values of freedom and liberty than we are. Because America is broken. Because our politics are broken. But there is a path to fixing it. Like anything else in America in 2022, it damn sure won't be easy. Because easy is over. But it is possible. And in this episode, we're going to explain how. And it shouldn't surprise you to know that independent Americans are essential to making that happen. Maybe the key to all of it. It's a theory and a theme we've explored on this show from the beginning, and one we'll continue to explore as often as possible, because it's maybe the biggest political and social imperative of our time. Think that's an exaggeration? Well, think about the alternative. Think about an escalation of all the partisanship and fury in this country moving off of cable news and Twitter and into the streets. Think that's not possible? We'll ask the people of Buffalo what they think. And think about a Buffalo happening every month, every week, every day. It's Putin's dream and George Washington's nightmare. And it's even more real than another group of Oath Keepers taking over the Capitol, which lots of folks thought was unreal just a short time ago. But we can prevent that nightmare. We hold the key. And in this episode, we're going to explore it with a leader who's dedicated his life to it, a man who's kind of a professor of independent politics and a practitioner of solutions, an important, inspiring, and or iconic leader, and a true independent American, one of the truest. In the world of independent politics, he's like a member of the clergy, a guy who can help us all stay vigilant. He's the president of Open Primaries, John Opdyke. I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T, do you know what that mean, man? I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T, do you know what that mean? 
I've been waiting to use this song for a long time now. It's a little-known song by a rapper named Webby. Webby's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And this track features Lil Boozy and Lil Fat. And it's from the album Savage Life 2. And it's called Independent. And it's damn catchy. And it's what we need more of in America right now. And it's what John has been pushing for decades. Open Primaries is a nonprofit focused on the movement of diverse Americans who believe in a simple but a radical idea that no American should be required to join a political party to exercise their right to vote. Open Primaries advocates for open and nonpartisan primary systems. They counter efforts to impose closed systems. They educate voters and policymakers. They advance litigation. They train spokespeople. They conduct and support research and participate in the building of local, state, and national open primary coalitions. They provide vital information and they engage all sectors to educate, build bridges, and develop the primary reform movement that's key to changing our political system. John founded it, and he runs it now. He's an activist and a strategist with more than 25 years of experience working in independent, alternative, and reform politics. He's one of the country's most visible and vocal advocates for primary reform. He started his career as a researcher and fundraiser for the D.C.-based Rainbow Lobby, which advocated for electoral reform in the United States and the democracy reform movement in Congo, Zaire. In the 90s, he joined Dr. Lenora Fulani's independent campaign for president, and he assisted Dr. Fulani in her campaign against Mario Cuomo in the Democratic Party gubernatorial primary. And that same year, he participated in the founding of the New York State Independence Party, a founding affiliate of the National Reform Party. And in 1998, he became the director of development at independentvoting.org. John's been in all the media places. He grew up in Evansville, Illinois, and went to the University of Michigan, where he played soccer, which used to be a thing that wasn't really understood in America. Until now, it's understood everywhere. Kind of like independent politics. John's an exceptionally experienced guy, and he knows the practical solutions to many of the problems that we see every day in America and have focused frequently on in this show. And you may not have seen it, but change is happening. Millions of independents were shut out this week in primaries in Pennsylvania and in other states. But there was also a big win in one of my favorite states, Maine. Open primaries became law in Maine, which now enfranchises over 350,000 voters. In a huge, historic move, Maine Governor Janet Mills has allowed legislation to go into law without her signature to create a semi-open primary, which would permit independent voters, 32% of all Maine voters, the right to pick a party ballot and vote in primary elections for the very first time. Both chambers of the Maine legislature voted to advance the bill, and it has bipartisan support. The legislation was sponsored by Senators Chloe Maxson, a Democrat, and Matthew Pulloy, who's a Republican. So at a time in America when many states are rolling back voter rights and congressional reform efforts have stalled, Maine offers a stark contrast. Maine offers hope. Maine offers a look into the future. And the legislation will now take effect in 2024. And maybe Pennsylvania could be next. 
The place where the high-profile primary races happened this week is just one of nine states with a closed primary. But now there's a bill to open Pennsylvania's primary elections for independents or unaffiliated voters. And it's gotten a new push of bipartisan lawmaker support. That would mean more than 1.1 million Pennsylvania independents would be able to vote. 1.1 million more independent Americans in the fight. And so we're going to dig into who independents really are. What are their demographics like? Why are millions of them still blocked from voting in primaries in America? Why are taxpayers funding closed primaries that the public can't be a part of? Does John think independent Evan McMullen, our recent guest on this show, can really win the Senate seat in Utah this fall? And does he think we'll get a viable alternative to the Democratic and Republican candidates for president in 2024? This is an episode about solutions and about how we can all be a part of them. I want to give a special thank you to all of our independent American Patreon members. You continue to be a part of this solution. You stand by us, you stand by this show, and you make this content possible. And if you're not one of those folks yet, please consider joining us and supporting this show. You can find out more at Patreon or at independentamericans.us. Being independent does not mean being neutral. It's hard as hell to be an independent. It's a lot easier to just pick a side. Being an independent means being patriotic, especially now. And we're going to dig into it. In 2022 America, there's no shortage of terrible, daunting, depressing news. But in this episode especially, we're going to give you reason to have hope. But hope is not a course of action. You need a plan. You need a strategy. You need a focus. And in this episode, we're going to share the plan to help America respond to this pivotal moment, fix our politics, defeat our enemies, foreign and domestic, and maybe even reclaim the soul of America. Yeah, it's that big. Because it's time for big ideas. It's a time for solutions. And this is one you can definitely be a part of. Welcome to the future for independent Americans. Welcome to the future for America. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 171. gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. Uh, we are going to take a bit of a turn into what is really a series of core issues for our audience, for this show, for this movement. Uh, that is a very timely and important conversation given the primary season in America, big fall elections coming up. I am very grateful and happy to have joining us a man I've been eager to have on this show for a long time, a professor, if you will, on all of these issues. The great and powerful John Updike joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome to the show, John. 
Hey, it's great to be here, Paul. And, you know, I'm an independent, so I like hanging out with independents and talking to independents. So looking forward to, to spending some time talking today. Yeah, man. You know, welcome home. This, this, is, this is why I've been eager to have you on the show. Um, and, and, you know, when we were getting ready to talk, I thought it would be a perfect time because of the primaries that are happening in America this week and in the weeks to come. Uh, all the good work you've been doing, we've been focusing on candidates and we've been focusing on the movement. And I want to focus on some of the really important strategic and technical pieces that you work um, on every single day. But before I get to that, just so we can, we can start it off, how are you and where are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. Uh, I am in Weehawken, New Jersey. Uh, where I just moved after living in New York City for close to 30 years. So it's a little bit of a shock, but I can still see the Manhattan skyline <laughs> from my uh, from my my front porch. Uh, but, you know, after COVID, my partner, Kathy, and I, we wanted a little more space, uh, you know, living in a, a small place in Manhattan for so long. It gets a little boring, a little tired. So we we decided to move to New Jersey and we're we're really liking it. Weehawken's a it's a Cuban neighborhood. Um, and. Uh, Everybody here speaks Spanish, and I really, I really like it. I get to practice mi español. Excellent. That's that's very exciting. And I think um, maybe as a as a bit of a tangent, Spanish speaking folks in this country, I think especially the younger generation, uh, I would imagine are trending independent, and and maybe worth exploring, you know, in a, in a follow up conversation. But maybe now that you're in New Jersey, your vote will matter more, right? Because if uh, you were in Manhattan. Uh, you couldn't vote for sure in the primaries, as we've covered on this show. Uh, now you're over in New Jersey and you're going to keep focusing on the work you do with open primaries. Let's let's start there if we can, John, because sure. you're really the master of this. Um, we talk about independent politics. We talk about this movement in America. But let's start with with a definition, if we can, for, for, for as you frame it, as you understand it, who are independents in America? Uh, and what can you tell us about that group of people that is often widely defined and sometimes miscategorized? Sure. And I think that's a great question because I, I have definite opinions about this. I, I think that independence cannot be understood using the traditional tools of understanding that have been given to us by the Democratic and Republican parties, which are which are um, ideological tools. So the typical way that independents are taught to understand themselves as being in the middle. We're kind of in between the Democrats and Republicans. I think that's that's garbage. Independents have opinions all over the place. Conservative opinions, liberal opinions, libertarian opinions, socialist opinions, and not just amongst themselves, but within themselves. I mean, a lot of independents are left, right, and center all at the same time. I think the, 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 the most accurate and also developmental way to understand independence. What it means to be an independent is that it's an act of non-compliance. It's saying, I, in a small way, just by how I identify myself, how I register to vote, I'm not buying in to the blue-red political construct. I just think there's something fishy about that. There's something that is that that is not a construct that serves the American people and serves our country and our world. It serves the parties themselves, and I'm opting out. So the, the political challenge, in my view, is how do you create power for those of us who have who are not complying with the dominant framework and amplify that and challenge? I mean, you know this. Uh, the pollsters, whenever they whenever they do a poll, 
and they talk to independents, they say, are, you know, are you a Democrat, Republican or independent? If you say I'm an independent, they don't let it sit with that. They say, OK, fine, you're an independent. But do you lean Democrat or lean Republican? Meaning, yeah, I know you think you're special, but everybody in America has to be team red or team blue. So pick a team. That's coercion. It's un-American, it's undemocratic, and we independents have to find creative ways, I think, is my opinion, to give expression to the fact that there are lots of us. We have the numbers. We don't have the narrative, but we have the numbers mm. to do something new in this country. I, I want to pull that apart. I think that's a really important starting point, John, because it's not that they don't want one or the other. They're saying none of the above, right? They're not walking in the store and saying, I don't want Coke or Pepsi. They're saying, I'm not walking in the store. Right. It, it, and it's also kind of a, a, a fuck you to the system or to or to the construct or to the imposition that you must choose in a world of freedom and, and, and choice. And I think we've seen that increasingly uh, in this country in the last couple of years. Now, broadly, you know, some of the polling I see says 42 percent of Americans or 42 percent of voters are unaffiliated or independent? Does that number seem right to you? Yes, and, yes. And, and, and can you talk about demographics? Do, how much do we know about gender, race, geography of that 42% of voters, right? Not Americans, but 42% of registered voters. Is that right? Yeah, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's the demographics are pretty uh, amazing because they're in the states that register voters by party, which is 30 states. They are on track to be the largest group or second largest group by 2030. That's red states. That's blue states. That's purple states. Um, 49% of Afghan and Iraqi vets are independent. 45% of Latinos and Asians are independent. 52% of young people are registering independent. So it's both, it's an accelerating trend. It is not confined to one region of the country, nor to a particular ideology uh, or rural, urban. It just, it breaks through all the different categories and silos that we've been taught to think about uh, by the two parties. And it's really a trend, uh, as I said before, of people saying, I'm just not going to sign up for your game. Mm. And and we've talked a lot about, you know, I think the biggest most powerful party in, in America right now is is no party at all. And the demographics are really important, I think, especially among young people, because young people tend to reject the existing structures. They're, they're not joining clubs in the same way. They're used to having right. Netflix and Amazon and multiple right. options. So to be able to go to the ballot box and only have two options seems wrong to them. Right. And I think that that's a really important generational divide that I see growing. Um, but I want to ask you ask you to focus on on a leadership component that we've explored a bit on this show. We've had folks like Evan McMullen on. We've, we've talked to Adam Kinzinger. Uh, we've had folks like Admiral Mike Mullen, who, who was you know vetted to be Mike, uh, Mike Bloomberg's vice president if he ran as an independent. Can you talk about how much you think the definition of independence is being defined by the limited number of candidates we've got? People tend to think of independence as people who follow Ross Perot or follow Steve Forbes or follow Gary Johnson. Now, maybe follow Andrew Yang. Can you talk about how by default and maybe even laziness, the American conversation has defaulted to understanding independence as followers of specific people who may not actually be good examples of what a modern independent is? That's a that's a very thorny and difficult question. 
Um, and let me just offer a few thoughts. Please. It won't be comprehensive. <laughs> I, I think there's a, there's a real struggle going on and people are grappling with it, like all the people you just mentioned, with how to organize independence. How do you build political organization that gives expression to that? And I think that as someone who was involved in the Reform Party, which came out of the Perot movement, um, this is a, such a difficult question because one of the features of independent voters is that they don't like political parties, including alternative parties. And yet, how, it, it still leaves open the question, how do you express any kind of political clout when organization is a key to that? Something I've been trying to raise money for for a decade, and I've completely failed. No one has invested a penny in this, is a national group called the League of Independent Voters. I think, see, see, I think some of what Andrew Yang and Evan McMullen, and again, I, I know these folks, I admire them and, and dozens of others, have to take seriously is that before we can build a party, we need a movement. And maybe there's some kind of transitionary organizations that are not quite parties, but they're, but they're not complete anarchy that give independence an opportunity to, 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 in some ways, go to the gym and start exercising and start mm -hmm. developing their voice. Because as I said before, we have the numbers, but we don't have the narrative. We don't have any voice in American politics, even though we decide the outcomes in every, every national election, it's independents who determine the winner, whether it's Obama, Trump, Biden, we're the ones who are deciding, but we have no voice. Mm -hmm. So I think this organizational issue is the, is the real, it's where we're at as a movement. And I, I have no simple solution. And I really admire the people that are grappling with it, including myself and others, but it's tough. The Demo see, the Democrats and Republicans, they don't just control the rules of the game. They're not just the Coke and the Pepsi, okay? They completely control how we think about politics in the United States of America. They control the narrative. So when you're going up against that, that's no small thing. Mm, I, 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 I think there's so much important stuff in that. And it, it's frankly why I created Righteous Media. I wanted to create an, an independent, politically unaffiliated uh, network for, yeah. for folks who are looking for alternatives. We had um, Michael Smirkanich on this show, right? We've had uh, Steve Schmidt on this show. We've had folks that, that maybe some folks view as those people who are helping shape that understanding. But I think I think what we're facing right now is a need for a, a multifaceted top down, uh, you know, top down, bottom up and side to side approach. Yeah. And you're getting into some of that. And I want to talk about the technicals of it, um, because you're going to have an Andrew Yang who says, I'm independent, follow my forward party, which includes, you know, universal basic income, which 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 in my view is a divisive issue, you know, is going to bring in so only certain groups of people. You've got a lot of folks um, who have prescribed the problem correctly. And I think Andrew Yang is one of them, but their prescription for the solution may not be right. 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 And that, and that is where I would put Yang and, and maybe others, including somebody like Kinzinger, who's not an independent so much as a Republican who's changing jerseys. And I think there's a need for this new generation of leaders who never were a Republican or Democrat and have a, maybe a more uh, authentic and even honest 
political uh, upbringing and, and framework that they want to put upon people. But there's also the bottom up piece, which is absolutely, absolutely. critical, right? And that's totally. where, where you're where you're focused a lot. So let's let's get into that because. Yesterday in Pennsylvania, as an example, high-profile gubernatorial Senate races, independents could not vote. Uh, you guys were in, involved in trying to change that. Uh, I, I retweeted the great Rocky Blyer ad that was up in, in Pennsylvania. But talk about access, um, because in the primaries in particular, millions, tens of millions of, of independents and unaffiliated can't vote for anybody. Um, so talk about, maybe start with what is openprimaries.org, and, and, and what do you think is the solution and the problem regarding access to primaries for independence. Sure. Well, Open Primaries is it's my organization. I founded it back in 2009. It's a national organization working to restructure the primary system so every American, every voter can participate in both round 1 and the general election. And there's different ways that gets expressed. There's different forms of open primaries. Uh I I I think the details are less interesting than the fundamental question of we now have an election system designed for a country that no longer exists. We have an election system designed for a country in which 90% of people are proud Democrats and proud Republicans. Not the country I live in anymore. Independents, as we're talking about, are the largest group of voters and they're the fastest group of voters. And there's millions of Democrats and Republicans who are also much more independent minded and want to choose the best candidate as opposed to simply vote the straight party ticket. So the problem we have, look at Pennsylvania, for example. So this was a nationally prominent primary. Big media, Trump's in town, Fetterman, who's Bernie's guy, you know, lots of big characters, huge amounts of money, national media attention. You had a million Democrats vote and a million Republicans vote and a million independents were not even allowed to participate. You ended up with 25% participation on the Democratic side, 35% on the Republican side. That's the best we're going to get in a closed party primary. That's the apex. And if you look at, look at the narrative about this, the narrative is completely, hey, this is a repudiation of Donald Trump. Two thirds out of Pennsylvania Republicans voted for a candidate other than someone Trump endorsed. The Republican narrative, hey, look at the woke, the agents of wokeness. They're gaining ascendancy in the Democratic Party. That's not the conversation I want to have. So, so these party primaries, these, par these closed party primaries are literally designed to make sure not only that independents can't vote, but that the narratives that we're spoon fed, that we're supposed to be interested in, um, how is this going to affect Mitch McConnell? How is this going to affect Donald Trump? I want to care. I care about the country and about the people that live in this country and our ability to move our country forward, not these idiotic partisan narratives that are meant to divide us and keep us in this perpetual horse race of, of figuring out how an election in Erie, Pennsylvania affects Mitch McConnell. Mm. When, so, when, when, when a third of the uh, when a third of the electorate had no voice and could not be evaluated, right? So you've got an incomplete data set that's framing right. not just uh, the, the the actual politics, but the understanding right. of politics. Exactly. Right? So we're, we're saying, okay, this many people in Pennsylvania right. feel this way about Trump, but a third of the people didn't even have a voice, can't be registered, exactly. can't be exit polled. So let's pull it all the way back, John. How many states 
uh, have closed primaries right now and, and, and give us that strategic framework nationally. Okay. Uh, and, and then I want to go down to a couple of more specific tactical questions if we can. All right. So first of all, 46 states have partisan primaries. Okay. So there's four states that have nonpartisan primaries, California, Washington, Alaska, and Nebraska. A nonpartisan primary, and this is important, there's no longer a Democratic primary or Republican primary. There's just the voters and the candidates. All the candidates are on the same ballot. All the voters get the same ballot. You as a voter can choose a Democrat for state Senate, a Republican for state assembly, a Green Party candidate for Congress, and the, the two most popular or the four most popular candidates go from the primary to the general election. So 46 states still organize it by party. Democrats get to vote for Democratic candidates. Republicans get to vote for Republican candidates. And then independents in about half those states can choose either a party ballot. And about half those states, they're just shut out completely. And it's messy. In Arizona, for example, if you're an independent, you get to vote in state primaries, but you can't vote in the presidential primary. If you're in, uh, if you're in Oklahoma or South Dakota, you can vote in the Democratic primary, but you can't vote in the Republican primary. Uh, in Connecticut, you used to be able to vote in the Republican primary and not the Democratic primary, but then they changed it back. So it's a constantly you know, shifting sands. Um, the biggest problem is that we do party primaries at all. Right. The big game changer is saying, hey, the party shouldn't control the primary system. The voters should control it. They should have maximal choice, maximal flexibility. And it should be the primary should be not the, the process of choosing a party nominee, but choosing which candidates are the most popular and, and who you want to see in the general election. Which is so also called which is ranked choice voting. Right. I mean, is, is, uh, it, is, can, it can be. But in California, it's not in California. They sent two candidates in Washington and Nebraska. They just sent two candidates to the general election for a head to head face off. Uh, in Alaska, they send four candidates to the general election for a face-off using ranked choice voting, as you're saying. And there's a debate about which one and, is and, better. And the one size fits all, John, there's a really important piece here because I have these yeah. discussions with people on this show and on social media, and they say to me, well, then just join the Democratic Party. Shut yeah. your mouth and join the Democratic Party or join the Republican Party. And, and if you don't, then doom on you. But there's a really important piece that you pull out here, which is these are publicly funded primaries in many places, yep. if not all. all right? So, except and, so South Carolina. In South okay. Carolina, the parties fund their own primaries. So, so the parties are, are using public dollars to have private primaries, essentially. Yeah, right. Exactly. Can, can you talk about that and, and the money that's involved here and the scope and scale of how the parties are, are kind of living off, uh, off of all uh, taxpaying Americans to run their, their party politics? Yeah, I mean, the, the parties have gone all the way to the Supreme Court to argue that they are private organizations. And as such, they should have control over who can and can't vote in their primaries. They basically make the Elks versus Kiwanis Club argument. They say, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want Elks voting in the Kiwanis election. So we as a party, as a private organization, we have First Amendment rights, and we should be able to determine that. And the Supreme Court has said, you're right. You have that right. But then they turn around and they say, even though we're private, we want to be funded by the taxpayers. Uh, we want these elections to be administered by the government. We want the poll workers, you know, the schools. We want this to look just like a general election, but it's a private election. And that's, that's problematic from a taxpayer funding point of view. It's about a half a billion dollars nationwide. 
But I think the bigger problem than the money is the culture. Because most Americans do not consider the primaries to be private elections, the way they consider Elks Club elections to be private. These are at the same schools and community centers and churches and synagogues where they vote in November. These are administered by the government. So there's this gloss of publicness to them, mm-hmm. um, but the parties control the rules and that's what we've got to change. We've got to get them fully public, publicly funded, open to all voters. So, so I think there, yesterday I voted um, in, in here and in, I'm in Ulster County, New York. I right. voted for school board. Okay, right. I voted for school board. I voted for three out of five candidates for school board, and I voted on the budget, right? And that was in the local um, middle school, right? And all the poll workers are there. So that didn't look any different from um, the, the primary in Pennsylvania, right? So the people who work at the primaries are the same people who work at the, work at the general, that right. use the same machines, the same facilities, the same buildings that yeah. they're going to use in, in November for the midterms and in a couple of years for the presidential. It's the same right. infrastructure, right? Have they, has there been a successful effort anywhere or can you talk about publicly funded campaigns and how that looks different as, a, as an example that we want to scale nationally? Um, campaigns to enact Public uh, nonpartisan primaries. Yeah. Is that what you yeah. Mean? Is, are there any places where where uh, where it's publicly funded and and then the entire public is allowed to participate? Yeah, I mean, eighty five percent of municipal elections. See, this is the this is the thing. If you look at polls, uh, Americans are much happier with their local government mm-hmm. than they are with the federal government. And if you look at how most cities, m- you know, most counties elect their city councilmen, their aldermen, their mayors, their county commissioners. It's completely nonpartisan. There's no party labels on the ballot. People just run as people. All voters get to vote. Sometimes it's a one-round election. Sometimes it's primary in general. Um, But it's only when you get to state and federal elections that you get the imposition of this party system on top of it and an intermingling of party elections and public elections that's very very problematic. So the answer, I mean, I've talked about this, like we need more national and local independent unaffiliated and unaffiliated candidates is what I try to specify. Sure. Because in some places you you also have an independent party in states, right? I think you worked with the, with, with the New York independent party. You've worked for yep. candidates in the past, right? So, uh, you know, if we were going to prescribe a, a solution to this, we need national candidates who decide to run and, and local candidates who decide to run as unaffiliated. I would argue we need ranked choice voting. We need publicly funded uh, primaries and and I would argue campaigns as well. And then you need uh, open primaries, right? Like that's kind of a, a multi-step solution to how we empower um, millions of, of independent Americans. But then there's also another outcome here that you've talked a lot about, which is we get better politics, right? We get people who work together. We get everybody voting in primaries, not just radicals from one side or the other. It, it encourages collaboration and people working together. Can you talk about what, uh, you know, if, if we're able to implement these yeah. kinds of tactical and, and bureaucratic solutions, what does the better America look like? In, in 2030, when there are so many independent Americans, we've got multiple candidates and all this change has happened. What is the future vision state for what America can look like? Well, I think I, I think it'll look different in different states because that's the glory of America is we're not kind of a monolith and we have lots of experimentation. I, I find a lot of inspiration in looking at Nebraska because Nebraska has had a nonpartisan primary 
and a nonpartisan legislature for 80 years. And on the one hand, Nebraska is very conservative. And most of the people that get elected to the legislature in Nebraska are conservatives and Republicans. But they serve in a nonpartisan body and they get elected in a nonpartisan system. And so what you see in Nebraska is that Democrats and Republicans collaborate on legislation virtually every bill. Virtually every bill has bipartisan support from the get-go, bipartisan sponsors. You have Democrats. This is a body controlled, I mean, numerically, 70% of the representatives are Republicans. Democrats are committee chairs as often as Republicans. Um, you see uh, all kinds of weird coalitions coming together. This is what I like about Nebraska. It's weird. You get conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats coming together to abolish the death penalty, to enact the gas tax, to build up the roads in Nebraska, to do something about what do you do with the children of illegal immigrants when they turn 16? Should they be, you know, like, how do you deal with them being able to drive? And the coalitions are not ideologically siloed coalitions. They span the gamut and they come together and they say, let's do this together. And they're able to do that because they're elected in a nonpartisan system and they serve in a nonpartisan body. I think that's the future of the country. I, I, I'll just be straight with you, Paul. Whenever I, I hear these reports that the American people are hopelessly polarized, mm -hmm. I call bullshit. I think that is a complete political industry narrative. I think the ordinary American people are as committed to hey, let's get the job done. Hey, let's bring, bring together different people so we can hear all the different ideas. Let's figure out what the best idea is. I think that is as American as apple pie and is alive and well in America. But, but our political experts and parties, they, they like suffocate that. They prevent yep. that from getting any kind of oxygen. I, I think that's really important, and I think I think it's true because there is a media narrative that is not that is not real America, and there is a narrative in 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 Washington D.C. that is not real America, and especially now as the pandemic is going into a new phase and people are reconnecting. I mean, we've been divided, I think, and, and that division has been exacerbated on social media. You've got people who've been arguing at each other on Facebook for two years, and now they're seeing each other in church again, right? And, and they're reconnecting. So I think there's an opportunity moment here. But there's also something I want to pull out, John, that's really important. We've been talking for a little while now. We haven't mentioned issues. We haven't talked about abortion. We haven't talked about the death penalty. We haven't talked about immigration. We haven't talked about some of the most taxes, uh, marijuana. There ha we haven't talked about any of the most divisive and even the most important issues, national security, um, the war in Ukraine. We're not talking about those. And I think that's important because I would argue it, it's not about that. And to, to focus on that buys into that narrative. I want to focus on access for all independent Americans. And then we can start to to see what things look like. I think I've got my own look and feel for it. But can you address that? What do you think, you know, as, as we really don't know who independents are, right? And we have, especially in how they're going to vote over time across the nation. Um, do you have any sense of, of what issues they care about or what issues tend to resonate across the different divisions when maybe nothing else does? Yeah, again, this is this is a thorny, tough question because independents care about all the issues that you just cared about. But he, here's the thing I would say, and I, I hope I don't come across as too philosophical here, but we use the word issues as if that's self-explanatory. 
And I think that part of what independents are doing is they're saying, I care about a woman's right to choose or pro-life. I care about the issue of our borders. I care about school funding, but I don't like how these issues get turned into ammunition for me to attack people that have different opinions than I do. And I think people, independents especially, but not only independents, I think a lot of Americans are extremely concerned about how they, they don't see any support for having your opinions be used as part of a constructive conversation mm-hmm. as opposed to a, hey, that person thinks differently about abortion than I do. That's my enemy. I, don't, I think people really don't like that, but that's, that's what you're forced into. That's like, if you, if you want to get involved in issues, that's the only way to get involved mm. in issues. And I think that holds back. And, and the parties, pardon my French here, they pimp that out all day long. They, they play us like a fiddle and they use all kinds of divisive ways of talking about this stuff to keep us at each other's throats mm. in ways that are very unhelpful. They do. I, you know, I think I think you, that's such a, a really thoughtful and helpful response, John. And, and you give this so much thought. And I, and I think there, I try to find a common thread. And I've said, for example, on this show, and many other places, you know, legalization of marijuana is is an issue that I think is based in freedom. You know, kind of has strong uh, support among libertarians. Seems to be nonpartisan. Seems to be something that both parties refuse to really address in a way that was in in response to where the American public was. I'm using that as an example of something that I think is popular. But I want to even go a step above that. What I find in my experience is that independents are patriotic. But yeah. in the realest, best possible way. You mentioned yeah. groups of people, young people. I think young people have a different definition of patriotism than an older generation. You talked about folks who speak you know, English as a second language or speak Spanish or immigrate here. I think they have a different appreciation and respect for America and for patriotism. You talked about veterans. I think these are people who want to put country first. And, and I think that can be a galvanizing uh, issue and it's the biggest yeah. issue of all, yeah, which is access and and free speech and power. I, I think we can unite independent Americans around the fact that they don't have a voice, and 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 I think that we're looking for leadership that can do that. We're looking for systems that can do that. You've been intrepid in your leadership, but I want to ask you to to build on that if you can. But take us to the presidentials, right? The midterms look like they're going to be as divisive as ever. Uh, independence. Maybe we'll start there. Talk about the midterms coming up. Tremendously important. What does that look like for independents? What kind of role can they play this fall? And do you think they'll play this fall? And then go ahead to the presidential. What do you think the next presidential is going to look like with regard to the independent movement that we're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, independents are going to get to vote in some of these primaries and they'll be shut out in others. They're going to be shut out in about 11 states this summer that are having primaries. So they won't get a a chance to be heard in other states. They'll they'll get a chance to be heard. And we'll see, you know, because their hands are still tied behind their back because they have to choose between a Democrat or Republican. So it's it's a limited way to give expression politically. I'll tell you this, independents, if you look at the last three presidential elections, they are starting to swing in significant ways. Not just a few points here and a few points there, 
they are going back and forth. I mean, independents put Obama over John McCain, hands down. Then, you know, eight years later, they put Donald Trump in the White House. They 20 points. And people say, how did that happen? It makes perfect sense to me because independents are looking for change agents. And we tried, you know, we tried the, the smartest guy in the room. Now let's try the drunk uncle, see if he can shake some things up. Then independence went back to Biden dramatically. We we're talking 20 points, 25, 30 points in some states. I think you're going to see independents continuing to find ways to use their vote to try to create some new direction. And that's hard in a two-party system because you've got choice A and choice B. And that's very limited. But as long as those are the only two choices, I think independence is going to be ping-ponging back and forth dramatically, which raises the other part. Can there be a mainstream third choice or even third and fourth choice in 2024? I'll tell you this. And again, I've been an independent. I've been involved in third party politics. I've worked for Lenora Filani, for Ross Perot, for Mike Bloomberg. I've stopped predicting. I have no idea when that's going to come together. It could come together next Thursday. It could be another 20 years. But there's going to be a breakthrough in independent politics. And I think for me, others can see things differently. I think what we put in place now, shows like yours, organizations being built, you know, conversations among independents, so that when that breakthrough happens, that we've got the, we've been at the gym, we've been building mm -hmm. muscle. Because mm -hmm. that, that, the two-party system is just not working. I mean, literally, yeah. I, forget the highfalutin political science language. It is not working for the country. Mm -hmm. And something is going to break through at some point. And how we take advantage of that is the bigger question for me. I, I, I think that that's, that's a, a really important point because there's also something else. There's, there's an independent shine. Right. There's there's the glamour of being independent. There's the maverickness. Right. Um, there there's the populism. Right. Sometimes independence and populism get used interchangeably. And I think if you look at Pennsylvania as an example, let's assume it's Dr. Oz against Fetterman. Right. You've got two of them that are both populists in their own way, kind of want to be independent, even if they take Trump's endorsement, yeah. and they take Bernie's endorsement. Right. You're seeing candidates that are more unconventional. Fetterman yep. wears shorts. He looks like me on steroids. I mean, yes. And then Dr. Oz is a political outsider. So you've got these folks that are kind of taking the independent shine. Fetterman's yes. a good example. He, he's toggling now. He's not calling himself a progressive anymore. He's kind of calling himself the brand of Fetterman, I think is what Rolling Stone called it, which is, I think, smart because yeah. he, he looks like an independent. Um, but let me ask you to specifically, we had Evan McMullen on this show. I've called it maybe the most pivotal election for independence in a long time. Can Evan win? Do you think Evan can and, and will win in Utah? Hey, anything's possible. Uh, I, I, I really believe that you point on something so important is that this independent movement is not just outside the two parties. It's inside the two parties. It's I mean, Obama and people forget this about Obama. Obama was the outsider. He ran against the consummate insider in 2008. He was supposed to be a nobody. Trump was an outsider. I don't like Donald Trump. But you can't forget that that guy shellacked the Republican establishment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he made them look like, like children. <laughs> so you're right. This independent sensibility is affecting all kinds of 
in, you know, within the two-party system. And someone like Evan, and I think the Democrats were smart, I think endorsing him in Utah and saying, let's do a head-to-head with an independent slash Democrat against a, a Republican is a way that, you know, it's going to give the people the best choice. I like Evan a lot. He's got an uphill battle. But I think I think the question for Evan is whether he can be weird and whether he can be. I'm, I'm serious because Evan That's is really a good. very Evan is a very logical guy. And the thing is, is that there's a lot of suspicion against that kind of I'm the expert. I think Evan has to find a way to let his hair down and and connect at a more at a more uh I don't know, guttural level, and then he's got a shot. But hey, I think that's really important. You're getting at something because there's there's the Fetterman, right? Like, I mean, it's the Fetterman factor. It's yeah, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to wear shorts all the time, right? right? It's you know, I don't want to wear a tie. It's it's embodying um, the sense of of sticking it to the to the man and and not just talking about it. And I think Evan's going to have to show that he is not um, opportunistic. And, and that he's willing to take the tie off and he's going to talk about his family. He's going to, I think there's an opportunity here to dial up his experience in the CIA. I think that's one area that is independent and, and populist. Anything national security and defense, in my experience, also seems to be a really powerful um, um, tool for, for a candidate in their toolbox. Um, John, I hope you can stick around for a couple of special questions for our Patreon members. But I want to ask yeah, yeah. you one, one last question. A lot of people say, you independents are spoilers. You're going to fuck it up. You're going to get Donald Trump elected. You're going to get Joe Biden elected. Uh, let's assume it's a matchup of what, what looks like odds are now. And of course, it could change. And I would argue most likely to change if someone's health changes. But we're probably looking at Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Um, do you want to see for all the things that we talk about? Is it better to have a Adam Kinzinger or someone else that we may not love, but is a third party candidate or an alternative candidate, or is it better for us to have nobody at all? All right. I'm just going to give you my personal opinion and I Please. don't expect people to agree with me. And I, part of me doesn't even agree with myself, <laughs> um, but I'm done with the whole spoiler thing. The whole spoiler thing is designed to make us afraid and play by the rules. And I think that in a lot of different ways, some of which I find objectionable. People are saying, I'm not playing by the rules anymore. I'm doing something new. And I think that if we independents are unafraid um, to, to involve and say, you know what, we're not spoiling anything. This is a democracy. This is about the people being able to choose and let the chips fall where they may. Um, I think we have to find ways to capture that. Now, does that mean that we have to run a third party candidate in every race and every situation out of principle? No, we should be tactically smart. We should look at how do we advance our movement. But whenever someone says spoil, what I hear is, hey, within the confines of two party politics, one of the choices is slightly better than the other as I've defined it. And I say, well, I don't agree with you. Right. I think this whole game has to change and we have to find the most creative ways, including running alternative candidates to change that and be focused on what we want to build for the country, not what we're going to spoil for the two party system, which is driving the country into the ground. I, I think that's a bullseye, man. I think, you know, spoiler is also code for give up. 
is it's vote for give up, accept this. Right. And, you know, there are plenty of scenarios where a third party candidate or an alternative candidate like a Kinzinger, you know, could go all the way to the end, could be on the debate stage and could really be empowering for all these folks. He could say at the end, hey, I'm out. Everybody vote for this person. Right. Like we see in European politics and other coalition politics where there is where there is actually folks fighting for those votes and bringing them toward I don't want to say the middle, but toward a different audience, right? Toward independence. So I, I think what, you, what you're getting at, John, is very important. I hope you run. I don't know. Now you're in, in, in New Jersey. No, I'm never running. I know. See, but you're, I, the kind I, of guy, you're the kind of guy who, who I hope will run because it's guys like you who won't run that we need to run because there are a lot of, you know, guys like you on the outside. Um, but you'd be hey, conventional, if, too. And, and we, we need get some open primaries. If we get open primaries and open presidential debates and a nonpartisan system in all 50 states, I will run. You've got me <laughs> on that right now. But let me let me say this. Look back to 2016 when you had Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. Yeah. Green Party, Libertarian Party. In between them, they got four or five million votes. I think one of the problems with the third party movement, and I'm a member of it, is that we run campaigns that are not weird. I mean, imagine if Gary Johnson and Jill Stein had joined forces and said, hey, we don't agree on the issues, but we want to spoil we want to spoil the election for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. We want to build a constituency of Americans that want to build for the future. We're not going to win, but vote for us precisely because we want to change things. I think they would have gotten 10 million votes Mm. if they had said that they would have united the left and the right of the independent movement. And they would have showed people that third party politics can be something other than these. I mean, the libertarians have run a candidate for president every year since I was in sixth grade. And they just do the same thing every year. They're like an autopilot. Yeah. We cannot be on autopilot. We have I to be creative, innovative, try new things, break some eggs, do some new things. I think that's right. And we need leaders. And I think that the big elephant in the room that we haven't talked about is a lot of these candidates suck. They're, they're bad candidates. They're not charismatic. They're not capturing the magic. If The Rock ran in 2024 as an independent, he'd win, right? Yeah. Like, like, we have to think really creatively. If Oprah had run, right? If, if people, and we've got this chicken and egg scenario where a candidate like my friend Wes Moore, who I think could have run as an independent in a different universe, says, you know, I'm in Baltimore, I'm in Maryland. I, I guess I grew up as a Democrat. I'm going to run as a as as a Democrat. But there are folks like Admiral Mike Mullen who, you know, we would love to have an elected politics, but there's no path for him. So I think it's a combination of building the path for candidates, but also yeah. we need some rock stars. We need some rock stars to say, you know, I'm the first uh, European superstar soccer player. You're an old soccer player, you know, who will play in the MLS. We right. need a, we need a Beckham to take a chance on the MLS and build that league so that we can see other European players come for a generation and uh, really create the change. I could not agree more. It's because you you can't you can't get the player before you build the league, but you can't build the league until you get the player, and they're they're kind of dialectically connected to one another. And yeah, um, yeah no, I think that's exactly that's exactly right. Well, and my my friend Gary Shang, who runs Civics Unplugged which is mobilizing young people to be change agents. He's, he's got a whole plan to get the rock in the game by 2028. He's got a secret project to get the rock to run for president by 2028. 
I love I love Gary. Uh, I-, I love the Rock. I love this conversation. I hope you'll come back and we can keep it going. Um, Absolutely. Because I think this is I think this is the biggest story in American politics, and and I think that it is so underreported, underappreciated. But you're also you know you've been a tireless leader. So I want to thank you for your patriotism, for being an advocate for this country, and for you know really banging away for so many years on such important stuff that is often underappreciated. You're a true public servant, uh, and I'm really 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 grateful for your leadership. You're kind of like the Ted Lasso of independence here. And, and you know, uh-huh. yeah, right. You know, I don't know if yeah, anybody's called you just, that I don't, I don't have as good a mustache. Yeah. But, you know. but, but I think like, like Ted Lasso, we're going to keep having more, more and more success. And, and thank you for taking us through it, John. You're, you're a tremendous leader. We appreciate you. My pleasure. Um, Thanks for having me, Paul. And keep up the great work. This, these kind of conversations among independents, broadly defined, crucial, crucial. Because well, we independents, as I said at the top, we have the numbers, but we don't have the narrative and we have to build that narrative. And that narrative is about, you know, departisanizing the way we do politics in this country. And that's why I'm so passionate about reforming the primary system. Well, and we have T-shirts, so I'm rocking it. If you're watching on video, we got independent T-shirts. Nice. We're rocking the rebrand. I got coffee cups. John, I'm going to get you a whole bunch. But until then, uh, thank you for all you do and, and stay vigilant, my friend. Thanks. Take care, Paul. There it is. Maybe John can be the Ted Lasso of independence. Or maybe he's the Roy Kent. If you watch the show, you know what I'm talking about. The experienced veteran who's been around for a long time and is now ready to help all of us rise to the moment. But check out more about what John's working on at openprimaries.org. Support what they do. They're a nonprofit. They need your social media support. They need your time. They need your donations. And support John. He's a true patriot. He's a helper, a true helper, who's empowering others to do the same. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. We see it every single day, no matter how tough things get. People step up in places like Mariupol and Ukraine and in places like Buffalo, New York. So check out the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. It'll give you a good dose of inspiration and a good dose of hope. And when you're on social, you can also play guest the guest every Wednesday night. I will post a mystery photo and ask you to guess the guest coming up in the show the next day. Thanks to all of you who play every week. And I encourage all of you to give it a shot. And check out independentamericans.us. You can see the video of my conversation with John there. And you can see recent conversations with other independent leaders like Evan McMullen, who's running for Senate in Utah, and Adam Kinzinger, who may run as an independent for president. You can check it all out and all our recent episodes on Ukraine at independentamericans.us. You can also get very smooth and cool independent Americans gear and support this show, like the very cool and comfy shirt that I was rocking in this episode. Very, very comfy T-shirts, and they feature the Independent Americans logo. It's a very cool logo that Chris designed. It's the logo for this movement and for this show. We've also got the same on coffee mugs that I drink from in the show. They make a great Father's Day gift. You could send some of our merch to your favorite father or someone who's going to be a father or someone who likes fathers. And if you're the first person to tweet me a video or photo 
of you or someone in your family rocking independent Americans gear, you will get a special access pass to our next cocktail hour. You'll get to go behind the virtual scenes, and maybe I'll let you pick the special cocktail. You can do that by checking out our merch posted on social, all at independentamericans.us. You can also join our Patreon community, which continues to power this content. Big shout out to all of our Patreon members, and especially to our newest member, Tom Daly. Tom and all of our Patreon members are continuing to help us create the content at Righteous Media that brings you the five eyes in all of our podcasts and everything we do. If you don't know, now you'll know. The five eyes are independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. They are the values that form the bedrock of this podcast and everything we do at Righteous Media, America's next great media company. And it's powered by the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. And rounding out our powerful starting lineup and our very deep bench is my amazing wife, Lori, and my two boys, my little lion and my baby bear. They continue to inspire the hell out of me. We're powering into May. And wouldn't you know it, masks are now back on in school. They only got about a month left and they had the masks off and now they're back on. But they can handle it just like they handled 10 days of antibiotics in the last week and everything else that's been thrown at them in the last couple of years. My little boys keep coming after it and keep getting after it and keep making things happen. And we are definitely watching the NBA playoffs, which is now down to the final four. If you haven't been watching, turn it on. It's Miami versus Boston. I cannot root for Boston under any circumstances. And it will be Dallas versus Golden State, which should be a fantastic shootout. I am rooting for and picking Luka and Dallas to win the whole thing. And if you haven't been watching the NHL playoffs, you need to flip that on as well. A ton of Game 7s, and the Rangers have moved on in dramatic fashion. It's a great time to be a sports fan. Now, America may be more divided than ever before, but at Independent Americans of Righteous Media, we work to change that every day, adding light to contrast to heat. So if you're part of that 42% of Americans who are independent that we talked about with John, this is your show. We invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. But even if you're not an independent, if you're independent curious, if you're a Republican or Democrat that is just interested in the future of your country, this is also your show. Unlike the primaries in many states, all are welcome here. And as Righteous Media continues to grow, check out our brother and sister podcast. Check out the Firefighters with Rob Sarah. The Rangers are winning. Rob is very psyched about that. And he's got another new episode dropping this Friday that will include a special firehouse recipe from his daughter, Frankie. Check it out. Firefighters with Rob Sarah and B-Dorm. If you haven't heard B-Dorm yet, definitely check it out. It's funny. It's smart. It's smart. It's funny. Don Elevert and Jericho Turner are talking about anything and everything and are going to be talking about the issues that will keep you smart and keep you laughing. Subscribe for free wherever you get this pod or you can go to righteous.us. And all summer long, we're going to keep sharing the hope because hope is the oxygen of democracy. We've been covering Ukraine at length and it is still a time to stand with Ukraine and also to stand up for America. That means standing for real change. Even if you're not an independent, you have to appreciate that this movement for change is good for all Americans. And we can't preach to people like those in the front lines of freedom in Ukraine 
when here at home, tens of millions of people can't even vote in their own government-funded primaries. If they can fight Russian tanks, we can fight bureaucracy and two monopolies that have a chokehold on our democracy. Yeah, the Ukrainians continue to inspire. And in case you haven't heard, they keep winning. On the battlefield, of course, in hearts and minds around the world, and now even in the Eurovision Music Contest. If you don't know, Eurovision is a TV show that is huge. It's kind of like European American Idol. And last year, the Italian band Mainskin won it. And if you listen to this show or you follow me on social, you know how much I dig that band. And last year, Italy and Mindskin won it. And this year, it was Ukraine. They won the whole damn thing. A group called Kalush Orchestra won it. They formed as an offshoot of the rap group Kalush. And they focus on putting together modern hip-hop sounds with motifs from traditional art and music of Ukraine. And this song, Stefania, was originally written as an ode to the lead singer's mother. But now it's taken on new significance since Russia's invasion of Ukraine started. And Ukraine got the support of the world, and they even overcame Russian hackers. Pro-Russian hackers tried to disrupt the voting for the Eurovision Song Contest. But Italian cybersecurity divisions blocked the attack, and Ukraine's Kalush Orchestra won the whole thing with their song Stefania, and it was awesome. And the way Eurovision is supposed to work, the winning country hosts the contest next year. So, here's to 2023 in Ukraine, where the fight for freedom never stops. And neither does the vigilance. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant, and we're all in this together. All across America, all across Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Kentucky, Oregon, Ukraine, and around the world, we're all in this together. From CNN anchor Victor Blackwell, to John Fetterman, to Dr. Oz, battling in Pennsylvania. From Webby to John Updike to Kalush Orchestra. From the people of Kiev to the people of Buffalo to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Power to the independence. And stay vigilant, America. Media.